It is Thursday, December 30th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Week 17 Championship Week Preview Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Small, and this is it, Jared. For most of us, there's still some leagues that play through the end of the season now that it's Week 18, but for most of us, this is it. We're making all our final lineup decisions, and, you know, it makes every decision more important, but it's not time to start making different decisions just because it's Championship Week. And your team's obviously good if you got here, so you know you shouldn't be, you know, having to dig down into the fringes too much. Although I know it's it's obviously been a grind. You know, congrats if you're still alive in season long leagues because it's you know to me it's been the most challenging fantasy season ever, ever just with all the you know COVID issues on top of all the usual injury stuff. And you'll probably hear plenty of start your studs at this point, but that's antiquated. I mean, we can't you you don't want to overthink it and sit somebody that's gotten you here, but you also don't want to ignore what's been happening over the past month, month and a half, and just say, well, I drafted this guy in round three, round four. I'm going to stick with him, and if I lose with him, then so be it. Because there are some of those guys that don't look nearly so attractive. So that's why we're going to keep going game by game, just like we do every week on the Thursday podcast. We'll talk about guys who might be bigger names that don't belong in your lineup this week, as well as some guys that we probably haven't talked about enough to this point, at least in recent shows, who might belong in your lineups this week. Let's start. No Thursday game this week, which is awesome. I I love that. I don't know about everybody else, but I'm glad to have a full week uh, before Sunday so we can actually get to every single game, you know, just thought-wise before any of them kick off. It's it's nice for lineup setting. I I don't know what I'm going to do with myself tonight. You know, I might do do some underdog play off drafts and then go to bed early might, might be nice. That's the thing is there are drafts that you can do. You can take more time to set DFS lineups. If you just need the football fix, there are 127 different streaming services too. watch something that's not football <laughs> and then save it for Sunday. I I'm excited to have no Thursday night football, but we'll get to when we do have football. We'll start with Miami at Tennessee. What an inglorious place to start it on Sunday. Titans by three and a half points over under is 40 and a half. And Jared, for me, it's tough to believe in anything beyond Jalen Waddle on the Miami side after the way Monday night in New Orleans went 46% target yeah. share for the rookie coming off the COVID list, zero targets for Devonte mm-hmm. Parker. Are you looking at anything beyond Jalen Waddle in this lineup this week? I mean, that, that was obviously a super conservative game plan for Miami, which was probably smart considering, you know, Ian book couldn't do anything, but to, I, don't, I don't know, to me, just thinking longer term, it kind of said a little bit about how they feel about Tua, like, you know, they were you know, running wildcat and pulling him for percent and just, you know, it was a super conservative game plan. So I, I don't expect the same this week, you know, Tennessee is going to push Miami, Tennessee's favorite in this game, obviously. Um, I think it's a decent spot for the, for the passing game. You know, the Titans are 10th in football outsiders pass defense DVOA, but they're 27th in adjusted points allowed to quarterbacks. They're 31st in adjusted points allowed to wide receivers. That's largely because they're second in situation neutral pass rate against so, it's, you know, teams tend to go pass heavy against Tennessee. The Dolphins have been a pass leaning offense for most of the season. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't I don't think Tua is like a strong quarterback one play. Um, but I think, you know, Waddle's an excellent play. He's he's a must start. And I do think Devontae Parker is still in the you know wide receiver three, wide receiver four mix. He had four plus catches in all seven of his games prior to last week. He, he was still out there for 85 percent of the pass plays last week. So, you know, he's still clearly, I think, that, you know, the number two option in this passing game, especially with, you know, Mike Kosicki kind of tailing off lately. So, you know, Parker, not a, not a must start, obviously, but I do think he's still an option if you're searching for that wide receiver three or wide receiver four. 
yeah, you can certainly say that a conservative offense made sense in that game and it obviously didn't hurt them. But I mean, you could also say the, the matchup gives you a chance to play around with whatever you want on offense because the saints were clearly incapable yeah. of actually making you pay once they got the ball back. So <laughs> it's, to me, it would have been a good chance to, I don't know, try a bit more downfield stuff. We got one long completion to Mac Hollins, but not a whole lot else to actually like beyond that. So I, I agree. It kind of makes me wonder about what they think of Tua long-term, but you know, for this week, I, I agree with what you said on Tua. He's not in the top 12 for me. He certainly could wind up putting up like a, a low end of the top 12 score, but there are other guys to like ahead of him in that range. And Devonte Parker, I'm going to try to throw out what happened on Monday night because the, you know, there was a report, I think from Omar, Omar Kelly, not really a report, but more of like a, this is what I see of Devonte Parker spending a good bit of time with trainers ahead of the game. We haven't heard anything about an injury. He's not on the injury report this week. So I think it's just a matter of them not feeling like they needed to test Marshawn Lattimore, who might have been the best offensive player that the Saints had in that game had they taken shots <laughs> at Devontae Parker. He still played – Parker played less than he did the week before, but his 71% target share was really right in line with his previous game. So I'm going to look more at what he did before that game. Um, he had topped 60 receiving yards in four straight before that New Orleans game. He has not fallen short of four catches all year. So Devontae Parker in the low end of that wide receiver three range looks like actually one of the safer bets uh, among yeah. those types of guys this week, I think. Yeah, I think you can expect, you know, six to eight targets from him. And again, Tennessee 31st in adjusted fantasy points allowed to, to wideouts. And the Titans have been tough on run D. I mean, they rate well that that way. For the course of the year, it's the third toughest scoring matchup for running backs on the year by our adjusted fantasy points allowed. They've also been putting up strong DVOA ratings in run defense lately. So it's the kind of game that should push Miami toward passing, as you alluded to. Yes, I would try to avoid the backfield if, you know, I think Duke Johnson is the the best bet. You know, he'd be my pick to lead in carries, but, you know, it's still Miles Gaskin getting quite a bit of work in the passing game. We saw Philip Lindsay, you know, split carries with Duke Johnson last week. So that's a mess. Um, Tennessee also has been tough against tight ends. They're sixth in adjusted points allowed to tight ends. Football Outsiders has them fourth in tight end coverage. And Mike Gusecki now outside the top 16 tight ends in four of his last five games. Even the other game, he finished tight end nine. So he's been struggling lately. He's just 14th in expected fantasy points per game over the last five. So the usage has been tailing off too. So um, yeah, I think Gasicki's still like right, uh, like borderline top 12 in our rankings, um, you know, just because the position is so weak. But, um, you know, he's he's not as strong as a play as he looked like he was a month ago. Yeah, because he's a tight end is the only reason that he's actually in the mix because he's on a cold streak. He's all over the place in terms of targets. So um, yeah. he's certainly not out of the mix. And he's actually done okay in red zone opportunities. He hasn't scored a touchdown since week seven, but has seen seven red zone targets since then. According to Pro Football Reference for the year, Gusecki still leads Dolphins in red zone targets. So he could get a score in this game. He does you know, not match up just like a traditional tight end. So the negative matchup for tight end scoring shouldn't affect him as much, but, you know, certainly not an exciting play at this point because of what we've gotten lately on the Tennessee side, the numbers make Miami look scary as a pass defense, but you got to check their opponents over that stretch where they've really loaded up since week nine, starting with week nine, the Texans, the Ravens, the Jets, the Panthers, the Giants, then the bye, then the Jets again, then the Saints with Ian Book. Right before that, the pass defense rated among the worst in the league in DVOA. And looking back from that week eight game just ahead of that stretch, we had Buffalo, Atlanta, Jacksonville, Tampa, Indy, Vegas, negative DVO ratings in pass defense in all of those matchups. So I think overall you count this as 
a neutral at worst passing matchup for Titans offensive players. Yeah. And, and that's where our adjusted fantasy points is. So I think um, important to look at, cause it, you know, it's adjusting for those opponents. So Miami's actually 25th in adjusted points allowed to wide receivers. So I'm not worried about this matchup at all for AJ Brown, obviously healthy last week had the massive game on Thursday. I like that. He's going to you know have extra rest coming into the, this game too. You know, after playing on Thursday night, um, Julio Jones and Nick Westbrook, Akini on the COVID list. We'll see if those guys get back, but I mean, Julio is going to, dominate Titans targets uh, regardless of who else is out there. And it's easy to say start AJ Brown, but we're getting to the point now where the best teams are still available. So there will be some teams that have, you know, a bunch of good receivers to choose from. I heard from one customer last night who has four wideouts. He has to choose three. These four guys all rank among our top 12 for the week. (laughs) It's AJ Brown, Antonio Brown, Keenan Allen, CD lamb. And you know, what you want to do is not have to sit any of those guys. So it's, there's one super flex spot where a fourth wide receiver could take the place of either Trey Lance or Russell Wilson. I think it's a strong enough group that you consider that. I mean, you almost always go quarterback and our projections say go for Trey Lance. If he's playing, I think if Lance doesn't play, I would play the fourth uh, wide receiver over Russell Wilson with the way things have been going for Wilson. Otherwise to me, among those four, AJ Brown is the one that I'd be most scared to not play (laughs) after what he did last Thursday against the 49ers. Yeah, I mean, to me, Antonio Brown would be the first guy in, but Brown would be the second guy in. I would have to reluctantly sit C.D. Lamb. We'll get to the Cowboys, but, you know, that's with all their receivers healthy, I think I think he has the lowest target floor at this point. Yeah, that was my recommendation as well. Back to the Titans, Deontay Foreman is certainly an option, but his past four weeks kind of show what he is. So yeah. over that span, let's go backwards, starting from last Thursday. Nine carries, 17 yards, a touchdown on the ground against the 49ers, who are a tough rushing matchup. So clearly, touchdown reliant there. 22 carries for 108 against the Steelers the week before that. 13 for 47 and a touchdown against Jacksonville. 19 for 109 against the Patriots. So when it's a positive rushing matchup, he can certainly take advantage of it, but he also needs the Titans to have a lead to give him those carries. So Foreman's an option. He stops well short of being a safe option. though. Yeah. I mean, as we've seen, it's, it's a three man committee in Tennessee's backfield with Jeremy McNichols and Dontre Hilliard alongside Foreman. Foreman's gotten about half the running back carries over the last three weeks, 44 carries for Foreman, 41 total for McNichols and Hilliard. Um, you know, Tennessee is home favorites here, you know, slight home favorites. So maybe game flow will go in his favor. I, th- you know, I think Foreman's a, a running back three, not a guy I'm super excited to use. Yeah. And Ryan Tannehill to me doesn't have the ceiling to be worth chasing. Yeah. He, it's an upside matchup, but if Tennessee jumps out to a lead, I think they take the air out of the ball and they limit his um, passing volume. Yeah, I think he's a nice quarterback too, with Brown back and the rushing ability. But you know, yeah, I think you should be able to do better as a you know quarterback one. Atlanta at Buffalo next. The Bills by fourteen and a half at home, and over under forty four points. And on the Bills side, first we get Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis back from the COVID list because the NFL couldn't deal with another game of Cole Beasley being on the sideline. Changed its rules, <laughs> so now we get these guys back from one of the best passing matchups in the league. Cole Beasley last time, last two times out, 11 targets, eight targets. We had the big game for Isaiah McKenzie last week in Cole Beasley's absence. I like Beasley this week in this matchup against Atlanta, especially because the Falcons, like one good player on defense is AJ Terrell playing the outside corner spot. Yeah, I mean, that's the argument for any of these bills is that, you know, they have, they, they have the highest implied total on the week. You know, they, they'd be my bet to score the most points. So all these guys have decent touchdown upside. Um, but man, I, I'm just not exactly sure how this is going to work. I, I mean, I think Beasley's going to 
retake over, you know, the, the primary slot receiver job. Maybe Isaiah McKenzie mixes in a bit more than he had been. I mean, he, he was really good and really integral to you know, Buffalo's win last week. So we'll see exactly what that means. And then we have Gabriel Davis, but Emmanuel Sanders is back. And, man, I mean, Buffalo should go with Davis here, um, you know, especially these final two weeks, get him geared up to get into the playoffs. You know, that that you know, he's he's their best other outside wide out, you know, opposite Stefan Diggs right now. But I, I don't know if they're going to go to Davis because every game this season that Davis and Sanders have been healthy, Sanders has led the way in, in snaps and routes. So I don't think you can use um, Davis this week. And I you know, would not want to use Emmanuel Sanders. Yeah, I agree on both of those. And, you know, coaches tend to go with the veterans. And I don't think Emmanuel Sanders has earned his way out of the lineup to this point. And I, I'm not worried about McKenzie. He's been with the team for several years now. Coaches know that he can play. We saw him uh, blow up at the end of last season when they sat uh, a bunch of the starters at the end of the season. And Beasley was dealing with an injury at that point, too. And then McKenzie just disappeared once the starters are back on the yeah. field. So I think we'll get plenty of Beasley this week. Certainly there's the risk that he doesn't get the targets because they have lots of options, but I mean, that's the risk with every wide receiver in that range. Yeah. I mean, I just, I didn't think, I think Beasley is like a, you know, fringy wide receiver four, and, you know, just the slight chance he loses more to McKenzie, you know, kind of has me trying away from him. No, I think he's, I would call him fringy wide receiver three with upside yeah. into the bottom of wide receiver two range. Yeah, we, I mean, we talked about he, you know, he's, he's wide receiver 50 in PPR points on the season. He's, he's had spike weeks, but he's had a lot of duds too. So I guess you got kind of know what you're getting with him. Dawson Knox, predictably tough matchup last week, just three targets, just two catches, just 11 yards did happen to score a touchdown on one of them Four touchdowns now in his past five games, much better matchup this week. So I think Dawson Knox is a fairly easy start against Atlanta. Yep. He's eighth in expected fantasy points among tight ends over the last five weeks. And like you said, plus matchup. So I think, you know, he, he's a mid range tight end one play. We'll talk about some other tight ends and maybe we're uh, comparing him with probably actually in just a minute, Devin Singletary, suddenly a solid running back two to end our fantasy season past three weeks have included his two largest snap shares of the season and his two largest touch counts over the past two weeks. Looks like a good bet for carries and or target share here. Yeah, 23 opportunities two weeks ago, 18 opportunities last week. He was actually sixth among running backs in expected fantasy points last week. He was 21st in week 15. So, uh, I mean, there's always a chance Buffalo, you know, changes it up at running back, but I don't really see why they would at this point. And, you know, great, great matchup. I think, you know, Singletary has as much touchdown upside as Singletary ever has. You know, he's still probably going to lose some of that to, to Josh Allen and Zach Moss, but I think he's a he's a nice RB2 play this week. On the Atlanta side, speaking of running back twos, I really want to like Cordero Patterson in this matchup against a run defense that's been generous. But, I mean, I think it's more of a taking a shot in a GPP than counting on him in a season-long lineup. Because the past two weeks, you know, two weeks ago, a tough rushing day against the 49ers was reasonable. You could say, all right, he was facing the number two defense in rushing DVOA. That happens. 11 carries, 18 yards. Last week, seven carries, 14 yards against the Lions, who are not a tough run defense at all. Cordero Patterson saw his lowest snap total in that game since week 10, and week 10 was a game he left early with an ankle sprain. Mike Davis last week matched Patterson in carries, doubled him in rushing yards. Yeah, I don't know exactly what the issue is. Maybe it's lingering effects of the ankle sprain. Maybe it's just the end of a season that has featured the most work of his career, especially as a runner. Patterson's not on the Wednesday injury report, so it's not like we can point to some specific injury. He only showed up on last week's as a Thursday rest guy. Overall, I just I can't believe in Patterson above like high running back three range this week. Yeah, I think you said it. I think it's just this is a 
you know, career special teamer. And he's, is he like in his thirties? He's got to be like 30 or he's got to be near there. So he's not like a young guy anymore, but it's just a career special teamer who is now up to 189 offensive touches. So he's just never handled this type of workload, you know, since, since going back to his colleges, I, I just think he's kind of running out of gas. Um, Patterson has had his two easily his two lowest PFF offensive grades of the season over the last two weeks now. Um, you know, the volume hasn't even been great. So it's just, you know, middling volume with poor efficiency, bad matchup here. I mean, you know, Buffalo can be beaten on the ground, but just in general, I don't think the Falcons offense is going to get much done here. So, you know, he's not a must bench, but he's in, he's in RB three territory in our ranking. So there, you know, there, I'm sure there's a lot of teams out there right now that, you know, have two or three better options. Yeah. And we'll talk about some other running backs. I'm sure that look like they make more sense over Patterson this week. It's sad really. Cause if you made it to this point, he likely played a key role in doing that. But you know, again, you can't ignore what's happened most recently just because most of his season has gone better than that. Kyle Pitts, you know, he's in most lineups kind of like Mike Gusecki because he's a tight end, but this matchup is not good. And it's not good. Even if you classify him as a wide receiver instead of a tight end. Now, to that end, most of Kyle Pitts's targets over the past three games have come against safeties in coverage. So that seems more like tight end stuff than wide receiver stuff. And the Bills, I would imagine, will try to get Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, uh, maybe even linebacker Matt Milano on him in coverage. The Bills sit top 10 in coverage DVOA against every position except running back. So it's not a great matchup no matter where they line him up and Atlanta doesn't have a whole lot to challenge defense with. So Kyle Pitts will probably be at the center of whatever the defensive plan is on the Buffalo side. Again, most teams probably don't have another tight end that they're strongly considering against him, but among the guys currently behind Kyle Pitts in our PPR rankings, I would start Dawson Knox. I would start Foster Moreau and I would start Tyler Higby over him because I think they all have more upside. You've been trying to push Pitts down the rankings all season. Um, Should have worked most times. <laughs> well, I mean, so he he's finished uh, top thirteen among tight ends in four straight games now. Tight end thirteen, tight end ten, tight end ten, and tight end four. He's twelfth in expected fantasy points over the last five weeks. It's funny. He Pitts has exactly six or seven targets in eight of his last nine games. So you kind of know what you're getting with him volume wise. I do think you know. So he's run. He's played thirty one percent of his snaps on the outside. So I do think Trey White's absence helps Pitts. You know, I I just. I think he's capable of winning any individual matchup the Bills throw at him. Again, it's just I don't see much ceiling here because I don't think the Falcons are going to you know score much here. Pitts only has one touchdown on the season, but I, I think he's a floor low end tight end one this week. I think he's going to you know get you four or five catches. Yeah, and that's where I would put him. I mean, I think he's currently eighth or ninth in our rankings. So mm-hmm. if I put three guys ahead of him, he's still eleventh or twelfth, and that's where I think he's fair. I think it's he's similar to Mike Gesicki in that way in that I'm not going to reach for, you know, Cole Komet to play over Kyle Pitts, but I'm more concerned about him hitting his floor this week than I am about missing out on a ceiling by taking a shot on somebody else over him. Yeah. I could see using Knox in this same game over Pitts. They're, they're actually tied in our PPR rankings. And right behind that, it's Dalton Schultz and Mike Kosicki. I think if you really wanted to, those guys are okay. I, I couldn't dip into the Moreau, Higby, Komet kind of area over Pitts. I would I'd stick with Pitts. Oh, that's where you gotta. That's where you gotta make the decision that that counts over just sticking with the guy he drafted. But we'll talk about Dalton Schultz. He he's one that I would be fine with playing Pitts over because of the respective matchups. But we'll get to that one in a little while. Russell Gage is the last Falcon really worth talking about, and I think that he's okay as a wide receiver three. The Falcons are likely to produce more passing volume this week than last because they're you know underdogs by more than two touchdowns, but. They've been a bad bet for passing volume 
ever since Calvin Ridley left. They've had one game mm-hmm. of 40 plus pass attempts in that span, fewer than 30 pass attempts in six of the past eight games and averaging only 28.9 attempts in the nine games since Calvin Ridley left the team, even though they're just four and five record wise over that span. So, you know, it's game script that should feature more passing. Right. Line. Even with that, they're averaging 28.9 attempts per game. Obviously that probably doesn't hurt anybody more than uh, a guy like Russell Gage who lives off of target volume. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the fact that they've been so low pass volume and Gage has still been doing what he's been doing kind of makes me like him a bit more in this box. I do think their pass volume is going to have to be way up. Um, you know, Gage has a 27% target share over the last five games. He has 42 targets in those five games. So I do think he's a guy who can get, you know, like 10 targets in this game. It would not be fun putting, you know, Gage in a championship fantasy lineup. But again, I, I do think he's a decent volume bet. Like, like Pitts, he's like a, a floor option just based on volume. I don't, you know, I don't see a big game from Gage coming. Yes, I agree with that. And he he's absolutely could get 10 targets in this game, but he could also get, you know, 28% target share and wind up with six or seven targets in a game where the Falcons just get absolutely nothing going on offense. So I, yep. right around wide receiver 30, not a guy that I'm benching for something if I don't have something more attractive. But if it's close, I'm probably going to lean toward a guy with a higher ceiling. Yeah, wide receiver 30 in PPR and non-PPR, I would, I would not be using Russell Gage. I agree with that. The Bills are the worst scoring matchup for wide receivers by adjusted fantasy points allowed. You know, granted, some of that includes Tredavious White playing, but at this yep. point, a fair amount of it also includes him not playing. Yep. Jacksonville at New England, Patriots by 15 and a half, over under 42 here. Let's start with something really exciting. No practice for James O'Shaughnessy on Wednesday with a hip injury. So uh, we combine that with the Patriots being the toughest scoring matchup for tight ends. Total avoid on James O'Shaughnessy. So we can at least take one of those, you know, very low end tight ends out of the mix, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, can we just say total avoid on the Jags offense? There's not a single guy I'd want to start. I think people might be tempted by Dare Ogunbowale. But I don't. I'm not. I'm not sure he's going to play that role again. It's one of those cases where you know Jacksonville didn't go into the game knowing they weren't going to have James Robinson. They have Ryquell Armstead on the roster. He was not active last week. They have this Nathan Cottrell, Cottrell guy. I've never even heard of. But you know they have other bodies. And Ogunbowale has been you know a pass catching guy throughout his career. So I would not be surprised if like Armstead leads the Jags and carries this week. And then you know Dari's doing just the most of the passing game stuff. Yeah, when the buzziest guy on your offense heading into Week 17 is Dario Bumbwale, it's time to ignore the whole group. One name to maybe keep in mind for cheap DFS consideration, though, is Tavon Austin, who got three carries, seven targets last week against the Jets. Obviously not a good bet for anything, but if your team is struggling and has nothing going for it, then Tavon Austin is the kind of player who suddenly looks like somebody you want to man- manufacture touches for. Because you can, as a coach, you can just say, how about we just give it to this fast guy and see if he can do anything in this game? Yeah, I mean that's a good point. That now that you mentioned, I think that the rushing is kind of intriguing. Like, you know, maybe he gets six or seven carries in this game. But he, to me, he'd be DFS only. I, oh, I yeah. think he could do a lot better in season long. But yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess that's what we're down to in Jacksonville at this point. Yeah, I mean Marvin Jones might seem attractive after last week, thirteen targets, eight catches, but that followed a four-target, two-catch game against Houston. So I mean, let's let's hope that yeah. you don't need any Jaguars this week. Yeah, last week was Marvin Jones' first weekly finish better than wide receiver 40 since week six. So yeah, I would not go there. We'll get to a surprise, probably a surprising name that he's actually outscored in that span though. Um, later in this show on the Patriots side of this game, Damian Harris exploded against the bills last week. Unfortunately for his fantasy owners at this point, Ramondre Stevenson is off the COVID list came off at Wednesday. So 
we have to look all the way back to week 12 to actually find full games of both Stevenson and Harris being healthy together. And at that point we had week 12 where Harris led and carries 11 to nine the week before it was Stevenson 12 to 10 week 10. We had no Harris week nine. We had Harris leading 15 to 10. So we'll see if Stevenson's feeling any, you know, post COVID effects. So I think all of it makes Damian Harris the first one in, but barring that Mm -hmm. we should expect this to be close to an even split, slightly favoring Damian Harris. And really if Ramondre Stevenson is all the way healthy, the Patriots would be incentivized to not overwork Damian Harris, especially considering his hamstring issue this week, because they want to preserve both guys. I'm sure for the playoffs. Yep. Yeah. The last game or two, we saw these guys together healthy. They were just rotating series. You know, you know, Harris might end up with more carries, but he just, you know, kind of got lucky to get more carries on the series he was in there for. Um, So I do think it's going to be something close to a 50, 50 split. Stevenson was actually doing more in the, in the passing game and neither guy was doing a whole lot. Um, It's it's just a good spot though. Obviously, you know, Jacksonville is kind of a middling run defense. They're not horrible, but um, you know, you have the Patriots as, as big home favorites here. They're, the run heaviest offense in the NFL over the past month anyway. So I, you know, you could get 15 carries out of Harris and Stevenson on Sunday. Jacksonville also opened the week with both of its starting defensive tackles on the COVID list. So we'll see. I don't know what the status of them is at this point, because that was before the league changed the rule Mm -hmm. and shortened the return time, but that'll be something to look at ahead of Sunday. Both of these running backs are in play at some level. I just think make sure you don't, consider Harris at the level that last week's numbers make it look like he should be. Yes, for sure. And obviously, you know, more attractive in non PPR and half PPR is that, you know, neither guy's going to do a whole lot in the passing game. The numbers might not tell it, but I think last week actually was a positive for Hunter Henry. Only one catch in that game against the bills, but he got six targets tied for second on the team. It's a negative tight end matchup. So if anything, the Patriots would have had reason to not throw it his way, especially without Tredavious white on the outside. He has topped 80% playing time in two straight games now. I'm going to go ahead and take a shot on Hunter Henry right at the top of tight end two territory, maybe the fringe tight end one, you know, however it sorts out, but over guys like Cole Komet and Tyler Conklin this week, who's dealing with a hamstring injury. Yeah, I still don't think you're going to get big volume out of Henry here just because I don't think the Patriots are going to throw it more than 30 times. Um, But Nelson Aguilar still looks like he's going to miss with his concussion, so that, you know, helps. And the, the Patriots have the third highest implied total. They're actually tied with Dallas for the third highest implied total behind only the Bills and Patriots. So I do think Henry is a you know pretty strong touchdown bet for the you know position once you get beyond the top three or four guys. It would be a tough decision for me if I'm staring at Hunter Henry and Kyle Pitts at tight end on my roster. I mean, if, if we're talking PPR, I would definitely go Pitts. Um, I, I, in non-PPR, it's more of a discussion because at that point you're kind of just you know looking for the touchdown. Uh, Non-PPR is easily Hunter Henry for me. PPR is where I'd have a decision to make. I mean, yards still count in non-PPR, too. It's not just touchdowns. Yeah, but a guy who's basically – I mean, a touchdown or bust versus a guy who's really bust or yeah. what's what's the upside, 45 yards this week? Yeah, 55. <laughs> Anything else in that game? No. Las Vegas at Indianapolis, the Colts by 6.5, even though we don't know yet who their quarterback's going to be, over under 44.5 points. And, of course, that's the biggest story for this game is Carson Wentz. On the COVID list Tuesday, the NFL was immediately like, oh, crap, we got to figure out how to get Carson Wentz back on the field. So let's change the rule. Five days for him would be Sunday. So we're probably not going to know until Sunday whether Carson Wentz is going to play in this game. And even at that point, who knows what level of Carson Wentz we get for that game. I think if you're in the championship, you probably aren't looking to use Carson Wentz anyway. So it doesn't really matter for him. But it certainly could matter for like Michael Pittman. 
Yeah, probably only Michael Pittman. Right? I think it's the only guy you're really considering. You're obviously starting Jonathan Taylor regardless. The Colts O-line is getting healthier. Quentin Nelson and Mark Lewinsky, their two starting guards, came off the COVID list on Wednesday. Uh, center Ryan Kelly is back after missing the past two games. They still have a couple of guys. Uh, Braden Smith's on the COVID list, and Eric Fisher got hurt last week. But, I mean, that, the O-line was decimated in that game against the Cardinals. Um, so that that's, that's good news. But, but, again, to me, it's Jonathan Taylor, and then it's Michael Pittman – as like a wide receiver three if the Colts get Carson Wentz back. Yeah, I agree with that. Although uh, tough to know whether Sam Ellinger or Ellinger, I don't know, whatever his name is, uh, tough to know whether he would be a better option than a sick Carson Wentz on Sunday. I think (laughs) either way, this team's probably throwing about 14 passes in this game. Exactly. I'm not sure the passing volume goes down much with with Ellinger just because they haven't thrown much with Wentz. Yeah. And I don't think that it's going to, I think that the Colts have a, a solid chance of controlling this game with Jonathan Taylor on the ground. Yes. Agreed. So on defense, the Colts have already gotten mm-hmm. Darius Leonard and Kari Willis back from the COVID list. They got Zach Pascal back on offense from the COVID list. Um, you know, we'll see about Carson Wentz. Jack Doyle looks unlikely to play at tight end. It doesn't matter unless it's a very deep <laughs> league, but if you are in a very deep league or just desperate at tight end, Moali Cox Season high, 90% snap share last week. Yeah, and a good matchup here too. Vegas 22nd and adjusted points allowed to tight ends and 27th in Football Outsiders tight end coverage ranking. So um, DFS, Moelle Cox might sneak his way into one of my lineups this week. Yeah, total touchdown or bust guy, but there is at least athleticism and size here for the targets that he does manage in this game. Every time the ball's in that guy's hands, I'm like, what a, what a beast. I don't, I don't understand why he doesn't get more involved. And the Raiders are going to be even without Jonathan Abram, who has been given up a lot to tight ends this year. So whoever is not good enough to unseat him is going to be in his place. So it could be an even better spot for tight ends. Keep that in mind for DFS. On the Vegas side, they'll also be without a tight end. Darren Waller, the knee might have been ready this week, but then he landed on the COVID list on Wednesday. And even the five-day window doesn't let him get back for Sunday's game. So it looks like it should be Foster Moreau as a starter for this game. Yeah, an awesome matchup for Morelli. You know, the Colts tight end defense is one I've been attacking lately. They're down to 31st in adjusted points allowed to tight ends. They're 20th in football outsiders tight end coverage rankings. And the Colts have allowed a tight end to score at least 11.7 PPR points in seven of their last eight games now. So it's just kind of been a consistent barrage of, of tight end points they've been giving up. So I think Moreau, you know, is right in that, you know, borderline tight end one mix. He's probably one of the better spot start options this week. Yeah, I, I don't think he's as good a target share option as Darren Waller, but when you consider the matchup, consider that they're likely to be trailing, that they could be trailing by a fair amount in this game. I'm playing Foster Moreau, you know, at probably three spots higher at least than we have him in our rankings and over Kyle Pitts for upside this week. Well, he's tied on 11 in our rankings, so he's already in the top 12. The other guy worth discussing on this offense is Zay Jones, and he kind of like caught half of my eye early in the week when I was projecting this game. And then since then I've realized he'd been even better lately than I realized Uh, a reliable source for receptions in recent weeks, seven plus targets, five plus catches in three straight games now. And in four of his past five games since, Oh, so over those past five weeks, Zay Jones is tied for 15th among all receivers in targets. He's tied for 11th among wide receivers in targets over the past three weeks. Really? I don't see a whole lot of difference between Zay Jones and Russell Gage in terms of what they're presenting this week. Guess not. I don't have any notes on Zay Jones. He didn't, he didn't make my, my notes here. Um, yeah. I mean, he has seen a pretty steady number of targets. Um, man, he, he'd have to be a DFS guy only for me at this point of the season. That's why, that, that's why I'm pointing out the string of reliability here. I mean, 
if we look back over the last five weeks, there are a lot of receivers that we drafted much earlier that have really done nothing. And Zay Jones has been excellent and they've thrown the ball 38 plus times in four of the past five games. So we're talking about a team that's probably going to throw it 10 more times in the Falcons here is probably a pretty good bet for at least 35 plus pass attempts in this game. I I think Zay Jones belongs in that 30 to 36 range of PPR rankings. Yeah, I guess I I don't I don't think the like Raiders are locked to throw up more than Atlanta. They've actually um, come down in pass rate over the last five weeks. They're just 14th in situation neutral pass rate, and the Colts are 27th in situation neutral pass rate again. So teams tend to run the ball against them. So I don't know. I just I don't think this is like a high volume game on either side. I don't think it's an exciting game on either side. Not that Atlanta is exciting, but I don't know. I, I at this point I still feel slightly better about Gage's volume than Zay Jones. Like I, I still think Renfro, and even in this matchup, I think Fossum Moreau might be ahead of Zay Jones in the target pecking order. He should be, but there's there's enough there. So I'll let you, you know, we'll finish this show and then you can go spend a little bit more time with Zay Jones's game log because I surprised myself with yeah. him this week. And then that's why I didn't even bother telling you before the show that I, I plan to try to push him up the rankings some, which it seems like you'll probably be on board with, just not to the point where I'll put him. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's a wide receiver four this week. That's fair. We'll start there and we'll see where we can get to. Anything else from this Colts Raiders game? No. Tampa Bay at the Jets. The Bucks by 13, over under 45 and a half. Mike Evans' hamstring would still be questionable. He landed on the COVID list Monday. So there's time for him to return from that ahead of the game, but we still have to see where his hamstring's at. I guess we have to assume that Mike Evans is not going to play in this game. And without Mike Evans last week, we got 50% target share for Antonio Brown in his return from like a seven month ankle injury. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't expect 50% targets again this week, but I think, you know, 30 is a pretty fair projection. I don't know if you saw, but he has, Brown has like three reachable incentives he can still get to, catches, yards, and touchdowns he needs. I got it. He needs 11 catches, 280 yards, and two touchdowns to hit his incentives. Each one's worth like a, a third of a million. And not, like, Brady seems like the type of guy who would, you know, work to get his guy there, especially in a game against the Jets where, you know, they should be able to do whatever. So, you know, Brown is a top five wide receiver play this week especially when your boys got to get the money to pay for the fake vax cards. I mean, you, exactly. you got to help supply them. Exactly. Yeah. He might hit those numbers this week. <laughs> that wouldn't, wouldn't shock me. I think the only change to the situation might be that Rob Gronkowski has a much better matchup this time yeah. around against the jets. So, I mean, I think Gronk gets more target share this week, but both of those guys, extremely easy plays along with Ronald Jones in this matchup. Yeah, I would definitely go back to Gronk, and he's going to be a good DFS play, too, if he's going to be lower owned. The Jets are dead last in football outsiders' tight end coverage ranking. So, you know, that's another guy I could see, you know, Brady wanting to get going here down the stretch. Um, the Bucs did get Brashad Perriman off the COVID list on Monday. So, I think he's going to be the other outside wide receiver. Um, so, you know, Perriman is a someone maybe worth considering for DFS tournaments. I think Brashad Perriman returning to the lineup is another mark in Antonio Brown's favor. Yes, agreed. Uh, Tom Brady is fine and he absolutely could throw four touchdowns to just Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski in this game. But yeah. I think there's also reason to worry that his upside is limited both by the pass catcher injuries and the way that the offense is just going to lean right. with all the things missing right now. Yeah. And I mean, they, they did lean heavily towards the run last week based on what they had been doing. They were, they were 46% pass in neutral situations last week. That's down from 62% over the first 15 weeks of the season, which isn't a surprise when you lose Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Leonard Fournette, you know, that's a big part of their passing game that they lost as well. Brady, Brady earned his second best PFF grade of the season last week. So he still played really well. Just the volume was down and the weapons aren't as good. I mean, this week versus the jets, like it, 
probably it's not going to matter. I think he's going to be super efficient. Like you said, he could easily get three, four touchdowns. So, you know, he's, he's still in quarterback one range. I would not be benching Brady for any, you know, streamers that, that includes Trey Lance. Yes, I agree. I'm not looking for somebody to start over him, but if it's a, a close consideration between like him and Jalen hurts, I think yeah. I'd probably go ahead and play Jalen hurts. And I think that's, yeah, that's, that's probably like the realistic, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Consideration that you got going on here. Yeah. Yep. I think so. On the Jets side, Michael Carter was big last week, season high, 118 yards on the ground. Congrats on getting the Jaguars last week. Before that, nine total touches for 20 total yards against the Dolphins in the previous game. So don't overrate Michael Carter heading into this week. Yeah, I mean, his usage was nice last week, even even beyond the the box score. He played a season high, 74% of the snaps, um, 16 carries and three targets. It's just, you know, this matchup is just brutal. The the Bucs are missing some guys there, right? Levante David and Shaq Barrett are out of this game. They're going to be missing safety Antoine Winfield possibly. Um, so it's not as strong a Bucks defense, but it's, you know, I would be shocked if the, if the Jets reached 20 points. So tough to get excited about Carter's upside. Yes, I agree with that. Somebody who is easier to get excited about if he's back is Elijah Moore, who's expected to clear the COVID list, but we still need to watch and see what happens with his yeah. quad injury, which is what landed him on IR back in what was it following week 13, I think. Yeah, it's, he's served the three, you know, he's been on there for three weeks now, so he is eligible to come off, but he was not activated. You know, he was not designated to return on Wednesday and didn't practice Wednesday. So I, I'd kind of be surprised now if he's even like designated to return today and then plays off of just two weeks of practice. So, you know, maybe we'll see him one more time in week 18. I, I wouldn't plan on having him this week. Yes, I agree. If he, Even if he does make it back from this point, I think maybe intriguing for DFS, but I would not realistically yeah. consider him in most, you know, redraft full season leagues. Uh, just you know, because of the, the situation that we're talking about here. Did not return yeah. to practice yet. He's been out for nearly a month. Still talking rookie with a rookie quarterback, too. Yep, agreed. Anything else from that game? Nope, no no Braxton Berrios talk this week. <laughs> you don't think he's going to return another kickoff for a touchdown? Yeah, I played against him in some in some league. It pissed me off. I played him in one league and still lost because there's plenty of there's you know big enough rosters where one guy doing that's not going to change it. But right. Philadelphia at Washington Eagles <laughs> by three and a half over under forty five and the Eagles backfield is the place to watch primarily here. Jordan Howard no practice Wednesday coming off the stinger that ended his week sixteen prematurely. Nick Sirianni said that Howard hopes to be ready to play Sunday, so we'll have to watch his status over the next couple of days. Boston Scott. I think is an option either way, whether Jordan Howard's yeah. in the lineup or not. But certainly if Howard's out, Boston Scott becomes a strong start this week, I believe. Yeah, I agree. Um, the Eagles running backs in the first meeting against Washington just a few weeks ago combined for 200 yards on 33 carries, 6.1 yards per carry. Um, we we actually have three games this season with Jordan Howard and Boston Scott healthy and Miles Sanders not healthy. Um, Howard out carries got 41 to 33 in those three games. Scott saw three targets for to zero for Jordan Howard. So they'd be, I think they'd be you know, pretty close in terms of fantasy value. If we know Howard is fully healthy and I'm not you know, sure it's going to be the case. We'll see. Like you said, uh, I think they're both, you know, lower end RB twos. If, if um, Howard plays and if not, you know, I think Scott is a you know, pretty strong RB two play that I just, I don't expect, you know, Kenneth Gainwell to be super involved maybe in passing situations, but I just don't think the Eagles trust him to be a, you know, lead back or even you know, a, a big part of the game plan. Yeah, it certainly doesn't help gain well that he's limited with an ankle issue uh, to begin this practice week. So, yeah, I, I like Boston Scott and Jordan Howard. I think it's I think we're looking at something similar to Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon, certainly not with the high end ability of Javante Williams, but also, you know, just an offense that's going to want to lean run yeah. as much as possible here. Yep. 
Jalen Hurts crushed Washington the last time out, and that was coming off his ankle sprain. Disappointed fantasy-wise last week against the Giants, especially with just seven rushing yards on a season-low two attempts. But, I mean, it was a fine game for him overall. They scored 34 points. They got 320 yards. So I'm going to look the other way on that and trust the big game that Hurts had the first time and what Hurts has been doing for most of the season to this point. No other quarterback has been as good a bet for top 12 QB for top 12 fantasy scoring. Right. He's had two bad games against the giants. I mean, last week wasn't even horribly finished quarterback 13, but he's been a top 12 quarterback in 11 of his other 12 games, you know, outside the two giants game. So you know, whatever it is about that matchup has given him trouble, but I, I would not be worried to go back to him this week. Yeah. And it's not even like we need to worry about the ankle because the week before that he ran yep. just fine against Washington. So yep. nothing to worry about here among the pass catchers though, Devonte Smith, Nice outing last week, five catches, 80 yards, a touchdown on seven targets, but he's averaging just 3.9 catches per game for the year. Reached that number once in the past four games before last week. Not a good not a good bet for volume here, I think, in a game where, as we said, we expect the Eagles to run the ball plenty and probably control yeah. things scoring-wise. He's outside the top 40 PPR wide receivers for me. Devontae Smith's a guy that I would play Zay Jones over in PPR. Mm, I, I couldn't do that. I, I, so I do think... Philly might throw it a bit more than average, you know, than they have been in neutral situations. They did that in the first meeting against Washington. They were uh, 46% neutral pass rate up from 38% in their previous five games. You know, Washington is still tougher against the run than the past. They're actually fourth in situation neutral pass rate against plus the Eagles backfield is banged up. So maybe that pushes them to pass a little bit more and Washington's 30th and adjusted points allowed to wide receivers. So the floor is still low for Smith because you could get, you know, four targets, but I, the matchup I think gets him into wide receiver three territory for me. Yeah. Washington should be healthier at the outside corner spots at this point. They had Kendall Fuller on the COVID list a little while ago. William Jackson was out last week with an injury. I have to check on his injury status, but you know, we'll see. Certainly there's, there is upside to Devontae Smith anytime he gets on the field. And Dallas Goddard, of course, showed us his ceiling in the first meeting with Washington. Season <laughs> highs in targets, receptions, and yards in that game. So he's a yeah. very easy start. And he showed us his floor last week, too, right, with the, the four targets. Um, so he's kind of like Devontae Smith, where I do think that the floor isn't as high as you'd want it. But, you know, un- unlike a wide receiver, there's fewer good options to replace Goddard with a, a tight end. So I think he's a pretty easy starter if he's been your guy all season. And the individual coverage matchup is better for Dallas Goddard than it is for Devontae Smith against Washington because Washington is without Landon Collins just for the rest of the season who had been doing a lot of that inside stuff lately. On the Washington side, impossible to actually like anything, I think. Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson are the decision players. So let's hit Gibson first. It's good that his toe is not on the injury report anymore, right, Jared? Yeah, because that that is what had been limiting him the past few weeks. That's the injury he had late last season that like lingered throughout the offseason. He's on the injury report with a hip now and was limited on Wednesday. Um, so we'll have to see about that. But yeah, I, to me, his health seems to be trending up now that the toe is off the injury report. Yeah, I mean, it's still tough to get excited. He has not run the ball great over the past few weeks anyway. Tough to know how much of that's the toe and how much of it's just a compilation of injuries at this point because mm-hmm. he's had multiple lower body things. Minimal rushing versus Philly last time out. Three straight games now under 40 rushing yards, but also caught six balls in that game against the Eagles. So that's kind of yep. the safety net for Antonio Gibson, assuming that he's healthy enough for his full usual workload. Three games of five plus catches among his past five games. I'd probably go ahead and start him in running back two range. There might be, you know, some guys that are worth playing over him that you also have on a roster, but I'm not reaching for like AJ Dillon to play over 
uh, Antonio no. Gibson this week. No, he's just a valiant play. I think if if his health checks out, you know, he's going to get 15 plus touches in this game. Terry McLaurin is not winning on volume, not winning on efficiency, and not winning on situation at this point. He looks to me like Devontae Smith, but with a worse quarterback and a much worse offense. Yeah, I like Devontae Smith over McLaurin this week. And I don't know if I'd sit McLaurin for Zay Jones, but I think that's one you could honestly think about. Like you said, McLaurin has, has nothing working for him. He's finished outside the top 40 wide receivers in five straight games now. It sounds like T- Taylor Heineke's going to start for Washington, but Kyle Allen is going to play as well. That's what Ron Rivera said on uh, Wednesday. So, yeah, it's just not an offense. And it's a tough matchup, too. The Eagles have been tough against wide receivers all season. They're second in adjusted points allowed to the position. He, did he say why he's planning to play Kyle Allen? Because I missed that one. No, probably, probably just evaluation season. It's like a you know preseason game for Washington at this point. And they've had Kyle. I mean, Kyle Allen came with them yep. from Carolina, so they know what he's got. So that's that seems like a knock on Taylor Heineke to me. But yeah, that's even more of a reason not to play Terry McLaurin this week. You know, maybe he lucks into a touchdown and you yeah. wind up regretting it. But I think that the ceiling fantasy line for Terry McLaurin this week is probably like four catches for 51 and a touchdown. Well, I mean, he's still an awesome talent, which is always right. scary to bench, but like the, for whatever reason, the volume hasn't even been there. He's averaging five targets per game over his last five, and he's 59th in expected fantasy points per game over that span. So it's not even like he's getting awesome usage and it's just been inefficient. He hasn't even been getting good usage for, again, for whatever reason. I mean, he should be getting peppered with 10 plus targets every game, but it's just not happening. Yes, he absolutely should, and he absolutely has not been. So there's just nothing to like with him right now other than, you know, natural talent, which only gets you so far. Um, New York Giants at Chicago. The Bears by six, even though we don't know who their quarterback's going to be yet. Over (laughs) under of 37 and a half. We'll start with the Giants because it's quick. I want absolutely nothing on the Giants' side at all. I'd probably even play Melvin Gordon, Cordero Patterson, Boston Scott over Saquon Barkley this week. Yeah, I think those three guys are all options over Barkley. I do think he's still at least like an RB3 just based on volume. I mean, he's still been, you know, getting 15 or so touches per game. He's, at, you know, he was, we've talked about this, but he he was, you know, finishing between RB20 and RB30 for the last five games before last weekend when he really dotted out. But, um, you know, Chicago's been struggling against the run lately too. So I don't know, maybe Saquon's efficiency is a bit better than it has been. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's an RB3. Yeah, 34% playing time last week, his second lowest mark of the season, and trailing only the game at Dallas that he left early with the injury. Mm-hmm. I think the most interesting thing with Saquon Barkley this week is that some reporter actually asked him if he's considering spitting, peeing, or burning down <laughs> the uh, Soldier Field in Chicago. Was that was that real? I thought I saw that was uh, a hoax or something. Someone like <laughs> dubbed that over. I don't know. Maybe. It, 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 might, it might be real. It wouldn't shock me. I know it was funny. It, it was <laughs> it's the kind of thing that usually doesn't get asked until Super Bowl week, but yeah. whether it's fake or real, it's funny that it's out there in the world. I know I know the Belichick thing was real. The you know, lady asked him what his New Year's resolutions are after <laughs> losing to the Bills. I, it wouldn't shock me if the Saquon question was real. <laughs> Can you imagine going in and thinking that's what you're going to ask Bill Belichick and he's going to actually give you an answer? I don't know how the lady even got in there, but that's, that's another story. <laughs> On the Bears side of this one, I mentioned we don't know about the quarterback yet. Andy Dalton is off the COVID list. He's practicing, so it seems like he'll be ready if Justin Fields is not ready. Justin Fields put in a limited practice Wednesday with his ankle injury. He was also limited last Wednesday, but then did not practice Thursday or Friday and did not play in that game. So we'll see how the rest of this week goes. Yeah, and I I need to know that he 
is close to 100% if I'm going to use him as like a quarterback one because you're obviously playing him for the rushing. Um, so I don't know, I'd, I'd have to see at least one full practice from Fields to consider him an option this week. Yeah, I think if he heads into Sunday questionable, then yeah. I would look for somebody else. I'd play Tua over him. I would play Trey Lance over him, assuming that he's a starter, and we'll get to that game in a few minutes. But yeah, it's going to be tough to trust Justin Fields at you know anything far below 100%. Obviously, Andy Dalton's not in consideration for most of us, but if we get uh, an iffy Fields health-wise versus a healthy Dalton, healthy Dalton's probably better for the pass-catching components here. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Allen Robinson's back for the Bears, and you know he's not a fantasy option, but that that has mattered. Robinson has mattered for Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet. Both guys have seen fewer targets um, when Robinson ha- has played. Mooney, especially, uh, 9.4 targets in his last five games without Allen Robinson, 6.6 targets in his last five games with Allen Robinson. So Mooney definitely takes a hit uh, with A-Rob back. And this could be a low volume game if the Giants continue to not put up a fight and the Bears actually build a lead here. So we'll see where that goes. Darnell Mooney has finished five of his past six games with exactly five receptions on varying target counts. So he's fine in wide receiver three range, but certainly not somebody to get excited about right now. Yeah, I would agree. I think you're going to see a lot of David Montgomery in this game. He's, you know, easily the, the best fantasy option in Chicago. Definitely. You want to make a Cole Komet sales pitch before we leave this game? No, again, he's gone from 6.8 targets without Allen Robinson to six to six targets with Allen Robinson. So a slight hit there. Um, the Giants have, have been a middling tight end matchup, so not an exciting guy. But, you know, Komet has been a pretty decent catch bet for most of the season. Yeah, you don't have to reach too far. I'll play Cole Komet over Tyler Conklin with his iffy hamstring this week. Me too. Kansas City at Cincinnati Chiefs by five over under 50 and a half. I think that's low. We'll get to that in a minute. But Clyde Edwards Elaire almost definitely out with his shoulder injury. Darrell Williams had five midseason starts with CEH out, averaged 13.8 carries, 5.4 targets in those games. Only three total touchdowns, and the only two rushing scores came in the first of those five games. So, you know, you can look back at that and say maybe he's not as good a bet for touchdowns as we thought, but there was definitely some bad luck involved because Williams had 15 red zone carries in that span, including 11 from inside the 10 yard line. Yeah. Williams was uh 10th among running backs and expected fantasy points in those five games. I was missed and he was 15th in actual points per game. So I think he's like a borderline RB one this week. I would, you know, be trying to get him in fantasy lineups. I, I think, you know, Derek Gore is going to mix in for, you know, three to three to six touches, but I think Williams is going to get uh, most of the rushing work. He's going to get most of the pass catching work and he's going to get most of the goal line work for the chiefs. And they're facing a Bengals team that's still banged up at linebacker. Jermaine Pratt's on the COVID list this week. Logan Wilson might return for the first time in weeks with a shoulder injury, but you know, probably not going to be at his full strength level. So it, it could be an area that the Chiefs try to attack. And speaking of attack, they should have Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey back to their normal levels after COVID week for both of them, both of them last week. Yeah, Tyreek, for sure, I would say. Um, you know, the Kelsey thing, is, it's a little scary. We've seen guys struggle coming back from COVID, and that includes Tyreek Hill, who, you know, he only played 42% of the snaps in his return last week. He, I think he came off the COVID list like Friday, didn't he? Kelsey came off Wednesday. He came off yesterday, so he's going to get in a full week of practice. That helps. I mean, there's no way I could bench Travis Kelsey in season-long leagues, but you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he has a, a slow game in his, in his first game off the COVID list. Yeah, and it's the kind of thing that it's tough to gauge the impact right now because, you know, Jalen Waddle was also coming off of the COVID list last week. It's it's logical that it would matter for speed guys 
who could have a little bit more trouble with their breathing. It's obviously going to vary by player because some guys might have no symptoms. Other guys might be quite sick during the week. So, you know, it's something to keep in mind, maybe not something to let totally control um, fantasy decisions at this point. Maybe it makes Travis Kelsey a bit more of a DFS fade this week, but I agree. It doesn't really affect my lineup decisions. Yeah, and like, like to be clear, I haven't actually looked into that. I, I might do it this offseason. I'm trying to decide if I think COVID's still going to be a thing next year. If it, it is, then I think it's worth looking into, you know, whether players' production has been impacted in their first game back. But like you said, there's been plenty of guys like Jalen Waddle who have come back and been just fine. So, again, I, Kelsey is a, a must-start fantasy option this week. And it seems like we're going to have to assume that it'll be a thing next year yeah. still. Before we finish with the Chiefs side, Kevin Wheeler wants to know if Byron Pringle's startable this week, Jared. What are you doing? Yeah, I actually wanted to make that note that I don't think he's startable with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey back. If you look at Pringle's last five games with those two guys healthy, he's averaged just 3.2 targets per game. He's you know been up to like five, I think, of his tops. And he's had a couple games with like one or, or two targets. So uh, I just I don't think you, you can – bank on enough volume from Pringle to use him in, in season long lineups. Yeah. He'd be a TD reliant option. We can look back even over like five years and yeah. the chiefs just don't care about getting a second wide receiver involved to any consistent degree alongside Tyree kill and Travis Kelsey. So I agree with yeah. that on the Bengals side of this one, you know, we've talked about how well the chiefs defense has been playing. They've also been playing a lot of home games lately Four of their past five, the lone road game in that five game span 34 to 28 overtime victory at the Chargers. Both teams in that game went over 425 total yards. I expect shootout conditions in this one as well. I think we're low on Joe Burrow in our rankings. Joe Burrow versus Tom Brady is a decision that I would have to consider. I think I'd probably have to land on Joe Burrow this week, given who he has to throw the ball to versus who Tom Brady has. I'm I'm playing Joe Burrow over Tom Brady and Justin Herbert if I have either of those decisions Mm -hmm. to make. I'm not. I mean, I, I like where Burrow is. I, I might even consider Trey Lance over oh. Joe Burrow. I'm, I, I, I mean, I know you're trying to separate Burrow from what he did last week, but again, we, we knew that was the perfect spot for him. Um, the You know, the Bengals smartly went pass heavy when they should have against Baltimore. They were 65% pass in neutral situations last week. They, they've been 49.5% over their previous four games. I actually ranked 16th, so they've been middle of the pack. Um, and I won't be surprised if they're middle of the pack. I won't be surprised if they lean even more towards the run in this matchup. And it's just it's just a tougher matchup than it was against Baltimore. If you look back at Burrow, I mean, he, he he's been producing as a low end quarterback one, you know, in his previous four or five games before last week. So I, I just think, you know, that's that's what he is again this week. I'm trying not to overrate what he did last week. Yeah, and I'm I'm not overrating what they did last week. If you look back at the matchups too, though, they'll they'll go with the pass when they need mm-hmm. to to score points. Yep. Um, you know, the passing volume comes down if it's a defense that's harder to throw against, or if they're winning the game. You know, maybe they get out to a lead on the Chiefs and, and keep it on the ground more. But to me, if the downside here is that Burrow only throws 30 passes, he's been efficient this year. I like his chances of still completing enough of them, yeah. getting to you know, 250 yards, a couple of touchdowns. And I think the upside is that we get shootout conditions and he does throw for 320 and, you know, three plus. Yep. There's definitely upside. Um, but I don't know. I guess I'm not totally with you. That this game's going to shoot out. It, it's it's going to be a game. I'm going to fade in DFS this week. I think actually. All right. Sir, I, I would agree that it's not a definite shootout, but I think that there is a better, I think it's a better place for Joe Burrow this week than it is for Justin Herbert against Denver, who we'll get to in a few minutes. 
And I, my concern primarily with Tom Brady is like Joe Burrow's concern, but even to a greater degree because he's missing his two primary receivers and he's facing a defense that's just going to like sit there and let them do whatever they want. Yeah. I mean, I know you said you think this game is going to go over, but you know, the Bengals have a 23 point implied total, which is like middle of the pack this week. The Chargers are at 26.25, the Bucks are at 29.25. So, you know, if you trust the Vegas Lions, um, Herbert's team and Brady's team are going to score more than Burrow's team this week. That's fair. I'll have to look more into the betting side of stuff before tomorrow's DFS podcast. All right. So, I mean, are there any other real decision players on the Bengals side for this one? I don't, I mean, I guess you're probably more into Tyler Boyd and CJ Uzama. If you think Burrow's going to have a big game, if you think he's going to have a big game, I do think those guys are in play, but Boyd's actually Boyd is 23rd in fantasy points over the past five weeks but he's just 71st in expected points per game. He's just been super efficient. You know, he's had a couple long touchdowns, which helps, you know, he's still the you know third option in that passing game. And then CJ Ozoma, 5.2 targets over his last five games, which is a, a decent number, but you, you probably still need him to score touchdowns to really help you. Yeah. I mean, it's, I can't get super interested in them because I don't love the target upside on either one. And, you know, Tyler Boyd could be like Michael Gallup level interesting, but he's basically Michael Gallup with short a dot. So if I'm choosing between those two guys, I'll take Michael Gallup, you know, CJ Ozama, if you could tell me he'll get six targets, I'll say, yeah, I'll play him 12th among tight ends this week. Yeah. And the um, chiefs have kind of been a middling tight end matchup. They're 13th and adjusted points allowed to tight ends, 14th and football outsiders tight end coverage ranking. So, you know, I, I think they're, to me, there are better spots there at options this week than Uzoma. I think, you know, Foster Moreau is a much better option. Tyron Matthew got hurt last week and says he's going to play this week. So that'll be something to watch for that middle of the field um, coverage for, for the Chiefs side. But yeah, so not not overly excited about either of those guys. They certainly are options if you're looking down in those ranges. Rams at Baltimore. Rams by three and a half over under a 46 and a half. And I mean, we'll, we'll start with the Rams side because I think you're just playing all of the passing pieces to the degree yep. that you did Cincinnati's last week. I mean, if we're equating the Rams receivers to the Bengals receivers, it doesn't, it's not a direct correlation here. Cause I think Cooper cup is Jamar chase plus T Higgins in terms <laughs> yeah. of impact at this point. But yeah. I think Odell Beckham, Van Jefferson are still both Tyler Boyd plus a dot. Yeah. So over the last five weeks, Beckham is 30th among receivers and expected fantasy points and Van Jefferson is 38th. So their usage hasn't been awesome, but again, it's just a, a great spot for the Rams. It's you know, the spot the Bengals were in last week. We expect them to go, Pass heavy against this this beat up Ravens secondary that lost another corner Anthony Averett last week. So the this, the pass defense isn't going to be any better this week than it was last, for sure. And Matthew Stafford's coming off a dis- disappointing point a disappointing performance yeah. last week with my disappointing method of um, pronouncing that. <laughs> I think that he's already high in our rankings this week. I think I would even push him ahead of Aaron Rodgers given the forecast that we have for that Packers Vikings game right now. Oh, what are we looking at there? I haven't even looked at weather yet. Oh, we'll get cold, to that. Cold. Game. It's five degrees at kickoff. Nah. Rogers has, has played in cold. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the toe will be a bigger issue in the cold. I don't, I, I, I don't, man, I, I love Stafford. I don't think I could send him for Rogers. Just how good Rogers has been for the past like five weeks now. And Stafford was horrible last week. He had his lowest PFF grade of the season and the second worst on the week ahead of only Jake Fromm. Um, now, he had three solid performances in the three games before that, and I think he'll bounce back here. But, yeah, if I were deciding Rodgers Stafford, I think I would have to go Rodgers. Yeah, I can understand that. And we're talking about QB4 versus QB3. I don't think yeah. there are too many folks making that decision, although it's probably out there because they were both around that the bottom of uh, QB1 mm-hmm. territory at draft time. Yep. 
And, you know, talked about the pass catchers here. I think even Tyler Higby looks attractive as a fantasy option. He has seen five plus targets in five straight games, five receptions in each of the past two and in five of his past eight. So in that fringe area where we're talking about guys like Mike Gusecki, Foster Moreau, you know, Dawson Knox, I think Tyler Higby is at least as good a bet for target volume and touchdown upside as any mm-hmm. of those guys in that range. Yeah, I prefer Moreau as a spot starter this week, but I, I do take be over, you know, Cole Komet and CJ Ozoma and all those guys. Yes. I would take Moreau ahead of him as well for target upside, but I like Higby over um, even guys like Dalton Schultz and Kyle Pitts up there. He's, he's a better touchdown bet than Pitts. I'll give you that. And even outside of the passing side, Sony Michelle, fairly easy start despite the matchup that favors throwing the ball. And I mean, if anything, Joe Mixon reminded us last week. Right. Um, and Michelle is, he's a, he's a workhorse now. Um, he already was, and now Daryl Henderson's out. Sounds like Cam Akers is going to be active for this game, which I cannot believe five months removed from a torn Achilles, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's active and doesn't get on the field. And if he does, like, I'd be surprised if he gets more than five touches. So, I mean, you know, Michelle's going to get 20 plus touches in this game. Yes. My main event lineup loves it. On the Baltimore side, Lamar Jackson's out there practicing and limping around the practice field. We got Tyler Huntley, Activated off the COVID list today, Thursday. So uh, to me, the offense is probably better if we get healthy Huntley yeah. over limping Lamar, but we'll see where the rest of this week takes it. Yeah, I guess at this point, I'm expecting it to be Huntley, considering how you know bad Jackson looked down the practice field just a few days before this game. Um, and yeah, I mean, if if, if, if it's Huntley, um, you know, it's not a great matchup, but the, the rushing, I think, would put him in play. Like I'm looking at the rankings, I think right around Trey Lance and, and Taysom Hill is where he belongs because he's very similar. I mean, the passing projection is kind of shaky, but you know, the rushing projection is big. Yeah, and I think that if you're looking in that range, and I agree that that's the range he belongs in, it's tough for me to not like Huntley over both Taysom Hill and Trey Lance because the advantage for Huntley over Lance is clearly that we've seen him play for a couple of weeks yeah. now as the starter and the advantage over Taysom Hill is much better surrounding talent. I mean, the, the surrounding mm-hmm. talent is even at least comparable to what uh, Trey Lance will have for the 49ers. Yeah. So I would feel best about uh, Tyler Huntley among those three quarterbacks. I, I think, I think I'd rank them Lance Huntley Taysom and ju- just the combination of Lance's rushing upside, the weapons, and he gets the Texans. Where you know Huntley's going against the Rams and Taysom's going against Carolina, it's it's still pretty good defense there. Back to the Ravens' backfield, Devontae Freeman a couple weeks ago looked like somebody we could feel good about using, and then his use completely fell off over the past two games. Six carries in each of those contests, three combined targets over that span. Latavius Murray, meanwhile, has been right there even with him in both categories, so they're both basically unusable. Yep, agreed. Uh, Freeman down to fifty six percent of the snaps over the past two games, 56% in both of them. Um, so it's, yeah, it's turned into something close to a 50, 50 committee. So yeah, try, try to avoid Freeman if you can. Anything else worth discussing on the Baltimore side? No, I don't think so. I mean, Hollywood Brown is basically turned into Cole Beasley. If you look at his numbers, like targets have been massive, but the A dot is, is way down. The yards per catch is way down, but you know, again, he's, he's still getting like 10 targets per game. So I still think he's a, he's a good fantasy starter. Just there's hasn't been the downfield shots that we were kind of expecting from him. He's a Jaguar that you just drive around the neighborhood. So it still looks nice. Still fun to have. Yep. Houston at San Francisco 49ers by 12 and a half over under 44. And of course the big story here is Jimmy Garoppolo's right thumb, not yet ruled out for the game. It certainly seems like things are heading in that direction. Just given the description of the injury, it's it's tough to imagine him playing through it. 
even though he apparently played through it for at least half of Thursday night's game. Not very well. You know, he wasn't good in the second half of that game. Yeah. Torn UCL and a fracture in his throwing thumb. So I'd, I'd be surprised if he played. So we're going to get Trey Lance. Um, his second start, his first start came in week five against Arizona, which, you know, tougher defense than he's going to get here. Um, he had no George Kittle in that game. Brandon Ayuk was not Brandon Ayuk yet. You know, that was still when Ayuk was in the doghouse. So it's a much better spot here for Trey Lance. And even in that, that first game, he finished quarterback 20, but that was without a touchdown. You know, and again, without those weapons. So uh, I, f- I feel pretty good about him. Even I, I don't feel good about the passing. Like, he could disappoint as a passer again, but um, just the rushing projection alone. Uh, Lance ran, what was it, 15 times or 16 times for 89 yards in that game. So, you know, there's few there's there's no quarterback, I think, with a better rushing projection than Lance this week. I cannot say that I would feel good, but I mean, I can't say that I would feel bad either if we're playing a running back at quarterback this week, which is basically what we're doing. And in, you know, one of the best matchups to do it against Houston, not only is Houston not good, but I mean, at this point in the year, there have got to be plenty of Texans that are like, is the season still going? Please just like something else on Sunday. I, I, I think Houston and Detroit, are the two teams to me that that suck and are out of it, but seem like they're still kind of trying. That's true. Um, no versus like the the Jets and some other teams. Yeah, I mean they did just beat the Chargers, so I, I'm not being fair to them. But <laughs> you know, it, it's a good spot for Trey Lance to be in. He's 12th in our Week 17 rankings right now. He's right with Taysom Hill. To me, Trey Lance versus Taysom Hill is a coin flip, and you know it's not because yeah. I think Taysom Hill is any better than Trey Lance. It's just what I have seen so far. And I would it would be a lot easier for me if it were Week 12 to say, yeah, let's take a shot on Trey Lance and see what happens in this game. Yeah. But Taysom Hill, to the you know, by the same token, he's not like this proven commodity. I know that we have some games worth of Taysom Hill giving us good fantasy numbers but Mm -hmm. we're also talking about a less than a half a season sample on him so he could have a total dud and it wouldn't be like well history told us i wouldn't reach beyond that though for somebody you know i wouldn't play trey lance over joe burrow or tom brady or anybody like that because those are the guys that if i lose because i played trey lance instead of them i'm like what the hell was i doing he had started one game i need to not just chase the pretty thing and play the quarterback that helped me get into championship week. Yeah. Again, if I had Trey Lance and Joe Burrow, it'd be a decision that was, you know, mauling until Sunday morning. Um, But yeah, like Tom Brady, Justin Herbert, I'm not sitting those types for Trey Lance. It it is interesting too, that Niners have a 28.25 point implied total. It's fifth highest on the week. I don't know if Vegas is still expecting Jimmy G to start um, because it really hasn't moved a lot since the open. Um, but, you know, if if, if, that, if that's their implied total with Lance under center, I think, you know, that's, that's, that's super exciting for Trey Lance. I'm surprised, and I wonder how much of that is what is expected or what they expect betters to do with it. Yep. I mean, I don't, I don't know enough about the process to know how much of either of yep. those things factor in. I think that we would probably get a lot of action if they had, you know, the Niners at like 24 and a half points or something like that. Yeah, that's, that, that's fair. I, I think the takeaway, though, is that, you know, Vegas expects the Niners offense to do pretty well, even if it's Trey Lance. And I, you know, I'm, I'm with that. I'm very interested to see what a Trey Lance game looks like. I'm glad that I'm not going to be finding out with any of my championship week lineups. I'll say that. And I, I mean, we'll talk about him tomorrow in the DFS show too, of course. I mean, I think, you know, he's, to me, he's going to be a pretty easy cash play. And then you got to decide what you want to do with him in tournaments. Cause I do think he's going to be pretty popular. Yeah. That'd be a no for me in, in GPP lineups, but yeah, we'll talk about that more on Friday. 
Elijah Mitchell back to this backfield returned to limited practice Wednesday. It's a strong spot. If he's good to go, that said, it's a knee issue here. So it makes it a riskier spot both to trust Elijah Mitchell in playing and because you know, there's reason for the Niners to limit his exposure, even if he is back in the game more than they normally do, because especially if they do get out to this kind of lead that they're expected to, I mean, why not save Elijah Mitchell for potential postseason games? Yeah, I mean, it's possible. We'll see what he does in practice the rest of the week. You know, if he's limited, 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 questionable, you know, he'll be a shakier start. If he's like not on the final injury report, I'll feel better about using him because everything we've seen so far this season, when Mitchell's healthy, he's been their guy. And we've even seen that when Mitchell's not healthy, it's been like all Jeff Wilson. So, you know, Kyle Shanahan clearly wants to kind of ride one guy this season. Um, You know, so again, we'll, we'll have to do a, how, what Mitchell does the rest of the week, that'll kind of determine how safe of a play. But yeah, you know, I, I do think he is the fantasy play over Jeff Wilson if if Mitchell's active on Sunday. I agree, assuming that we get to the weekend with things looking good for Elijah Mitchell. And it's, you know, it's a good enough matchup where even if he's in the game for 12 carries, he could get 56 yards and a touchdown and then sit down and we're okay with that kind of production. If we yep. do get Trey Lance here, I'm certainly downgrading Debo, George Kittle, and Brandon Ayuk versus where they would be normally. Yeah. I think Ayuk is the only one of the three that, that really gets a significant knock though. And is, is a guy that I would bench where I might otherwise yes. play him. Yes. Ayuk, I would try to bench if uh, Lance is under center Debo. I couldn't, I mean, I do, I think you have to expect the efficiency to come down quite a bit. The volume probably comes down a little, although I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo had only averaged 31 passes over his last five games. You know, we have, Trey Lancer now projected for 26 passes this week. So we have the passing volume coming down a bit, but it's not like it was a high passing volume offense to begin with. Then, you know, with Debo, you have to hope he continues to get some of the rushing work. You know, he has six and a half carries per game over his last five. And I mean, for, for how good he's been on the ground, I don't think the Niners are, are going to go away from that too much. Yeah. Uh, on the Houston side, Brandon Cooks is back from the COVID list, came off at Wednesday. So I think we have, we have to be wary of the post-COVID effect with him. It would be nice if we get some kind of reports on, you know, how he did with it. It wouldn't be nice to know if a player was particularly sick, you know, when symptoms stopped. I know that uh, maybe there's some privacy issues, but anybody who's yeah. willing to talk about it would be nice to hear uh, that. He does at least get the full week of practice. So, right. you know, we'll watch for any hints on that heading into the weekend. Otherwise, Brandon Cooks is just kind of going to kind of be – I don't know, an uncomfortable, like high wide receiver three play, I think. Yeah, he does feel that way. I mean, he probably, we probably should like him more than that. I mean, he, he's just, he's been really good with Davis Mills. I mean, he had the two big games prior to missing last week. He went over a hundred yards in, in uh, both of his previous two games. If you just look at his last five games with Davis Mills, 9.4 targets, seven catches, 79 yards in those five games, 16th and expected fantasy points per game over those. So um, yeah, to me, the biggest issue is the, is the COVID thing. Some of these guys have been on the injury report too, like with illness still and limited in practice. I think Delvin cook was listed as limited in Wednesday's practice. You know, that could be a hint. I don't think cooks was on the injury report. So I don't know if, you know, that, you know, I guess that means he was able to put in a full practice on Wednesday at least. Yeah. If we had, you know, fully healthy cooks with no concern on that front, I'd be like, Mm -hmm. why is he not inside our top 20 this week? But as it is, You know, it's like, I, I hope he's good. Yeah. I, any close decisions, I'm probably going to have to lean toward the other guy. Well, it is still the Texans and it's Davis Mills and they have a, you know, 15.75 point implied total. So there's definitely still a downside, but like, you know, Cooks is good and he's, he's been, he's been dominating targets when he's been healthy. 
Previously, that was the only guy we had to talk about on the Houston side, but Rex Burke had <laughs> changed that last week with a big game. And David Johnson certainly doesn't look like a great bet to play. He went on the COVID list Monday. Even if he makes it back, he still has the quad injury that cost yep. him last week's game. So we should at least get Rex Burkett as the lead running back again this week. Jared, are you playing him? I mean, I'd prefer not to, but I mean, he he has been getting enough volume where he's in play. He Burkett has averaged 14.5 carries and 2.3 targets over his last six games. That's kind of when he took over as the lead back. He's 24th among running backs in expected fantasy points over that stretch. You know, he had the awesome matchup last week against the Chargers. It's much tougher against San Francisco. Uh, the Niners second in football outsiders run defense DVOA. 13th and adjusted points allows running back. So I think, you know, go back to expecting the efficiency we were getting from, from Burkhead, you know, previous five games, not what we got from him efficiency wise last week. Yes. Uh, last week, the chargers 32nd and run defense DVOA this week, San Francisco is number two. So 22 carries for 42 yards incoming for Rex Burkhead. <laughs> that might put him in contention for plenty of teams, not somebody yep. to go chasing after basically Michael Carter level play this week. I think. Yeah, exactly. Denver at the Chargers. Chargers by six and a half over under 46. We got Tim Patrick on the COVID list Wednesday. I'm not sure anything matters in the Denver pass offense because we're probably going to get Drew Locke starting again this week. And that's not good for anybody. Do you know, you know, Drew Locke got the second best PFF grade among quarterbacks last week. (laughs) I I watched the game. He wasn't a disaster. I didn't didn't think he was great. Um, I mean, the, the problem for Denver's offense last week, you know, if you started any Bronco, you were disappointing, disappointed, even the running backs. Um, they ran only 40 offensive plays last week. You know, they just, they didn't have the ball, but I, don't know, I guess Locke played decent for the guys who, you know, grade that stuff. I, I still wouldn't want to start any of these Broncos pass catchers. That includes Noah Fant. Yeah. I think Drew Locke is interesting for like a GPP format, especially because you look at the Chargers defense right now and Derwin James is still a question with his hamstring, but COVID has claimed Chris Harris, Nasir Adderley, Michael Davis, Alohi Gilman, who was the fill-in for Derwin James last week. Joey Bosa is just coming off the COVID list today or yesterday, Wednesday. So chance for him to see some effects. So, I mean, it could be an upside spot for Drew Locke. Does, I don't think it matters for season long. I'm not playing him. I'm not excited about any Broncos wide receivers. But, you know, don't be surprised if we get something from the Broncos pass offense this week. <laughs> I mean, again, I think it's, it's going to be better than it was last week, um, just for play volume alone, if nothing else. I, I'd go back to both these running backs. You know, we, again, we just talked about the Chargers matchup that Rex Burkhead just went off in last week. Chargers dead last in run defense DVOA, and they're 27th in adjusted points allowed to running backs. Um, in the first meeting uh, between these two teams, Melvin Gordon, 17 carries for 83 yards. Javante Williams, 14 carries for 54 yards and a score. You know, Denver had positive game script in that game. They actually won it, so that helped. But I don't know. I think they should be able to keep this one close enough, and I think they are going to lean, you know, super run heavy when the game is close. So I think there'll be enough for uh, Williams and Gordon to both have pretty solid fantasy days. I agree, and we just mentioned how the Chargers defense helped Rex Burkhead become a thing again last week, 32nd in run defense DVOA. You mentioned 19 and 18 total opportunities for Gordon and Javante Williams in the first meeting. I don't think the Chargers are playing like a team that wants to take a big lead on Denver and put the Broncos out of running the ball. So I I agree going back to both Broncos running backs this week. I I think they're both fairly Mm -hmm. attractive at, you know, appropriate levels of consideration. Yep, and you still prefer Javante. Um, you know, Gordon's maybe a slightly better carry bet, but Javante's been doing almost all the pass catching work now. 
And we mentioned on last week's preview show, but the Broncos defense has been really tough lately, limiting opponent scoring. Even in losing last week, they didn't let the Raiders do a whole lot offensively. Justin Herbert in that first game that they did lose, where they only scored 13 points, still wound up with 303 passing yards, two touchdowns. So not overly worried about Justin Herbert for this one, especially back home. Two plus touchdowns in five of his past six games. And last week is the one game in that span where he didn't get at least two touchdown passes. Threw for 336, completed 77% of his throws against Houston. It was his fourth 300-yard game among the past six. So, you know, when I talk about playing somebody over Herbert, it's because I love the upside on the one guy, not because I'm worried about Justin Herbert this week. Yeah, I mean, definitely not an ideal matchup for Herbert, but he's just been too good in, in real life for the most part. I mean, you know, last week was was disappointing, but especially in fantasy, um, top 12 quarterback in six straight games now, top six quarterback in five of those six games, including that first Denver game, as you mentioned. It's, you know, the reason Denver hasn't been giving up a ton of fantasy points really to any position is they're first in plays against. They're just not giving up a lot of plays. The Chargers did run 71 plays against them in that first meeting. So like, if they can get it, you know, even up into the upper 60s, I think Herbert and all these guys will, will be fine. I think Mike Williams could be a candidate for COVID hangover this week. He's not yet yeah. off the COVID list as we speak, unless he has come off at some point today on Thursday, did not before the show started at least. And today marks five days since he landed on the COVID list. So this would be the absolute beginning of when he could. And he is unvaccinated. You know, whatever you believe on that front, scientifically, it says that he's more likely to have symptoms that are affecting him. So I would be a little bit wary of Mike Williams this week if he is back for this game. He's probably not inside my top 30 PPR receivers. I mean, he's been more disappointing than not anyways, even before COVID. Um, That includes the first game against Denver. He finished a wide receiver 50 that week. Um, and he's just, he's wide receiver 40 in expected fantasy points over the last five weeks now. So, you know, we, we've talked about it, but the, you know, the usage has been nowhere near what it was in the beginning of the season. Uh, Jared Cook also failed to capitalize last week with the matchup and with Mike Williams missing. So I'm not, I'm not particularly interested in him this week. He scored in the first meeting against Denver, but you just caught, caught only two passes in that game. And Denver has been the second toughest uh, fantasy matchup for tight ends this season. Anything else from this game? Uh, Austin Eckler is back and, and he's not on the injury report with the ankle, which is something I was watching. Cause you know, the last time we saw him, he was limited by the ankle, but it looks like that's behind him now. So he should be back into his usual role. Nice. And that means no Justin Jackson, unless you're really reaching for a running back, right? Correct. Detroit at Seattle Seahawks by six and a half over under 42 and a half. I said last week that it seemed like the line favoring Seattle by six against Chicago. I think it was six <laughs> points seemed like too many points to give the Seahawks. And then they lost that game. Now I, I'm not going to, I wouldn't go out and lay money down on <laughs> Detroit, but choosing Seattle to beat anybody by seven points at this stage does not seem like a good bet to me. I don't know how much that matters for fantasy other <laughs> than that. This game is not a great spot to go looking for big fantasy upside other, other than Rashad Penny, I guess. How about Amon Ross St. Brown? I realized that as I was saying it, that's the other <laughs> one. So, Let's go back to going through the players. And DeAndre Swift, I think, is the first name worth addressing because he hasn't played since Thanksgiving because of a shoulder injury. Full practice on Wednesday. So, Jared, assuming we get a couple more full practice days from Swift, are you tossing him back into lineups for Week 17? Probably. I mean, I'd have to be stacked, I think. If we're talking full PPR, you know, he's he's 13th in our full PPR running back rankings. I mean, that that's – that that's lower than I'd rank him if he wasn't coming off the shoulder. Like I do think there's 
probably some risk of re-injury, although, you know, it has been five weeks now. And like you said, full practice on Wednesday. But I, I think there's also a chance Detroit eases them back in, obviously, with their season going nowhere. Um, but Seattle's 31st in adjusted points allowed to running backs. So the matchup is awesome, too. And Swift was producing as a top 10 back before going down. So, again, downgrading, downgrading him a bit because of the shoulder. But I think in a lot of cases, he makes sense to get back in fantasy lineups. Yeah, I mean, if he were at full health, I think he'd be second or third in our rankings this week for this matchup. So I think yeah. anywhere, real, you know, really around 15 or so is fair to consider him this week. Uh, we'll see how the next two days go, because, you know, sometimes guys have that day and they're like, oh, I'm not as ready as I thought I was. And then it's limited mm-hmm. thereafter. So we'll watch him. Josh Reynolds is limited. He's on the COVID list as of Monday. Jared Goff is back off the COVID list, but he's dealing with a knee issue. So we don't know if he's going to play. Um, not having Reynolds can obviously only help Amon Ross St. Brown's target situation. And apparently it doesn't matter whether Jared Goff is playing because Amon Ross St. Brown is recession proof. He has been. I'm really curious to see what happens to his role and his usage with switchback. Like they've been, they, they've been using St. Brown in the, in the backfield on something. They've been swinging him out of the backfield to get him the ball. Um, I got to think Swift's return cuts into St. Brown's volume a little bit, but I mean, he can lose three targets and still be getting, you know, seven or eight targets. Um, you know, Seattle somehow has been pretty tough against wide receivers this season, but there's no like individual matchup I'm worried about. So I, I still think um, St. Brown's a pretty nice PPR play this week, even though I, I do think his volume is going to come down a little bit with Swift back. Yeah. I mean, it's bound to, but I also, yeah. if I'm playing right now with Amon Ross St. Brown, I'm playing him this week, you know, unless we have like a stacked kind of situation, like I talked about earlier with the much bigger names, four straight games of 11 plus targets, four straight games of eight plus catches. So, you know, maybe he comes back to earth this week and lets you down, but that's the kind of letdown that I'm okay with because it's like, I was just trusting the guy who had been crushing it for a month in PPR. You know, if it doesn't work, that's, that's football. Yes, I agree. On the Seahawks side, another great spot for Rashad Penny. One more carry last week for him than Russell Wilson had completions in a game that they lost, you know, albeit late, but it's it's a spot where it's going to be tough to not use Rashad Penny, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, he he finished as a top ten running back in two of his last three games against Houston and Chicago. So it's been you know positive matchups, but he gets another positive matchup here against Detroit. Um, Penny has handled thirty three of the Seahawks forty six running back carries in his two healthy games. That's a seventy two percent carry share, um, which is you know a, a nice number again when, when you're facing the Lions. And mm-hmm. and he he's looked awesome too. Like he's looked like you know, the first round pick that he was back in, you know, whatever, whatever year that was. Yeah. He's the, he's the Rex Burkhead, Michael Carter, Damian Harris from last week that you can feel good about using this week. Yes. Yep. DK Metcalf, on the other hand, I would not feel good about. He's in wide receiver three territory in our rankings. And there might even be guys right behind him there that I would play over him this week. Last week, we had Tyler Lockett come back from the COVID list. Metcalf still fell one target short of Lockett in that game. Six to five did have the 41 yard touchdown. That was one of two receptions against a bad Bears defense. Since Russell Wilson returned in week 10, DK Metcalf ranks 13th among wideouts in targets, 49th in PPR points. The guys ahead of him include Jakeem Grant, Jamison Crowder, Marvin Jones, and LaVisca Chenault. Yeah, see, that's like you say, he's 13th in targets, and I want to be like, you know, the production's going to start coming when he's getting that type of – he's still on the injury report with that foot. I think He didn't even practice on Wednesday. Um, I, I got to think that's an issue. Um, like even in this matchup, like, you know, the 
Lions secondary is just, you know, horrible. Metcalf really should have his way with it. But Detroit's also seventh in adjusted points allowed to wide receivers. That's largely because they just haven't faced a lot of targets because teams just run on them. That's probably what Seattle is going to be able to do here. Um, so I don't know. I, I'd be scared to sit DK Metcalf, but I, there are plenty of teams still alive that, you know, I'm sure have three better options. I would comfortably play Amon Ross St. Brown over DK Metcalf. And that is something that if I, <laughs> if somebody played that recording for me, in September, even I'd be like, well, what, what happened to me in December? Uh, but it's, I would, it wouldn't even be a second thought for me right now. It's not close between them. Yeah, I, I would. Um, it wouldn't be comfortable for me though. No, I, I'd feel just fine about <laughs> it too. Uh, and also give me Tyler Lockett. If you happen to have both Seahawks wide receivers, oh, yeah. even though it was Metcalf outscoring him last week, it was Tyler Lockett easily ahead of him, you know, for weeks before that. Uh, Gerald Everett caught four balls last week for the second straight game, fourth time in five games and fifth time in seven games. So he's a solid bet right in that, you know, upper region of tight end two territory. Yep. Good matchup for Everett. Um, The Lions 24th and adjusted points allowed to tight ends. Uh, Will Disley is back off the COVID list and he was, you know, taking some snaps and routes from, from Everett before landing on the COVID list. But, you know, Everett's still the lead guy here. I I do still think, you know, you're going to get four to six targets out of him. Yeah, I think I would play Everett over Conklin, who's got that hamstring issue. Everett yeah. versus Cole Komet is pretty much the same guy, I think. Yeah, Conklin we'll just have to see about, but if there's any question with him in the Sunday night game, I think you got to go Everett. Um, I'd probably go Komet over Everett. Um, I just think he's a slightly better target bet. Kevin Wheeler wants to know, between Russell Wilson and Taysom Hill, Jared, who you got at quarterback this week? Taysom, for me, pretty pretty easily. Yes, I agree. That's where I, you know, I talked about not taking Trey Lance over somebody who's gotten me there. Russell Wilson has been mostly letting us down. So I'm going to go ahead and chase the rushing with Taysom Hill um, pretty easily over Russell Wilson this week, assuming that both are ready to go. Carolina at New Orleans. Speaking of that, Saints by seven points over under 38 and a half. And on Carolina's side, Sam Darnold is ready to go. He's going to get the start this week. And that's about all I have to say about that. DJ Moore is the only yeah. Panther that's really in consideration. He's a volume winner, four straight games of 10 plus targets. If he keeps going, he might someday be Amon Ross St. Brown. <laughs> yeah. And Moore's hamstring is off the injury report now too. You know, he was questionable heading into the last two games. I do think Sam Darnold is better news for DJ Moore. It's not, it's not good news, but I think it's better than Cam Newton. You're probably just going to get more passing volume, maybe slightly more efficient passing from Darnold. But yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's volume and talent with DJ Moore. I think he's a pretty decent play this week i'm just looking forward to seeing how many quarterbacks play in this game for the panthers um yeah. on the defensive side the panthers currently have hassan reddick on the covid list and i believe he just went on yesterday so i don't think he will have time to be back to play brian burns is on the covid list shaq thompson's on the covid list those two guys might have time to come back but obviously have a chance to be limited and stefan gilmore is probably out with a groin injury so we already kind of like Taysom Hill here. The matchup's only going to be better because of all those situations. Yeah. I, I think there's nice upside to Taysom Hill. Yeah, Carolina's been tough against the pass this season. They are ninth in football outsiders pass defense DVOA, but they're 20th in run defense DVOA, which, you know, is almost more important for Taysom Hill. The, the concern for the Saints, you know, they've been missing their two tackles for like the better part of the last you know month plus now. Um, and I'm not sure those guys are going to be back this week. So that's worth monitoring. But like you said, those – Injuries on the Panthers' defense will definitely help Hill. What's the injury for Ryan Ramchek? Well, he he's on the COVID list, I think, and then Armstead <laughs> is still hurt with whatever. But Ramchek was hurt before he went on the COVID list. So. Yeah, that's what I was wondering about because Ramchek, I believe, came off the COVID list today 
or yesterday. So I think on that front, he should be good. And then we'll, you know, we'll watch the injury report. doesn't look like Ramchek's on that right now. So that would certainly help. Of course, Taysom Hill is also coming off the COVID list, which caused him to miss Monday night game and introduced all of us to Ian book. So we'll hope that he's good health wise. Obviously they can't, you know, limit his snap count unless he's seriously in bad shape. So should be all right on that front. I'm going to go ahead and bet that he delivers for us rushing wise and that he just gives us, you know, enough numbers overall to prop up like a, a top 12, you know, I guess, yep. you know, QB 12 starting point for the projection. Yeah. Again, not starting him over the the Brady's, the Burroughs, the Herberts. Um, again, I would even use Trey Lance over Hill this week, but I would use Hill over like Russell Wilson and, and Kirk Cousins and those types. I agree with that. And it would be a coin flip for me between uh, Taysom Hill and Trey Lance, basically the same guy at this point, just one I've seen and one I have not pretty much. Arizona at Dallas, the Cowboys by five and a half over under a 51 and a half, which I believe is the highest of the week. Rondale Moore for the Cardinals remained out of practice Wednesday. It doesn't matter a whole lot other than leaving targets available for the other guys that were actually considering Zach Ertz limited Wednesday with his hamstring issue. So the fact that he's practicing at all, I think is good for that because he played through it last week. Chase Edmonds limited with a back issue. Again, the fact that he's practicing at all is good for Chase Edmonds, especially because no James Conner at practice Wednesday. So it would be a great situation for Edmonds if Conner is out once again. Yeah, the Arizona beat writer said Conner was back on the practice field Thursday. I, I never, you know, put all the stock into those. They sometimes end up being wrong or whatever. So we'll see how he's listed on the report. It does sound like he has a chance to play. I mean, he was kind of close to playing last Saturday. So um, we'll see. You know, Edmonds was Edmonds was fourth in expected fantasy points last week without James Conner. So he, he's an RB1 if Conner is out. Um, even if Conner is back, I think in this matchup, I prefer Chase Edmonds with the Cardinals underdogs. They're probably going to be playing from behind. That's, you know, Edmonds more in the passing game, I think. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see about Conner. Yeah, and especially with the way Arizona's played the past two weeks since getting Kyler Murray back, I expect them to fall behind in this game. And if they do that, we saw last week when even when they were trailing by a couple of scores, they were still throwing short in that game where I was waiting for Kyler Murray to go yeah. under his yardage total and he barely got over it in that elite <laughs> drive. But I think that they will fall behind. I think they'll do plenty of passing. I like Chase Edmonds. And in close decisions, I like Christian Kirk. And A.J. Grant, AJ Green, not as much as um, Christian Kirk, but okay to some degree. I guess the fact that I almost called him A.J. Brown <laughs> shows how i don't know mm-hmm. unexcited i guess i am about aj green relatively speaking yeah. yeah he's not he's not aj brown that's for sure um and green, green kind of looks like a you know what is he 33 year old wide receiver in, in week 17 he, he kind of looks like he, he's running out of gas um he has five catches on 11 targets over the last two games without deandre hopkins the, the passing game is running through christian kirk and zach Ertz. uh kirk has 21 targets over the last two games zach Ertz has 24 targets over the last two games, you know, some of that has been matchup based, you know, they played the Colts last week, which is a good tight end matchup. Um, but, I, but I do think those are going to be the two best bets for targets going forward. So I, I think Kirk is a nice play, you know, just based on volume. And I think, I think Zach Ertz is, you know, one of the four or five best target bets at tight end at this point. And especially playing this Dallas defense using quick developing routes and attacking the middle of the field is going to be probably their best bet for gaining yardage on this group. Yep. On the Dallas side, it's really tough to sit anything after how last Sunday night went with everybody scoring at will. Dalton Schultz, I think, is the strongest sit candidate among guys that are, you know, within consideration. Arizona, the fourth worst scoring matchup for tight ends by our adjusted fantasy points allowed. 
George Kittle is the only tight end all year to reach eight PPR points against the Cardinals. Only he and Tyler Higby have topped three receptions against Arizona this year. And it's the strongest spot by football outsiders coverage DVOA in their ratings is tight end for the Cardinals defense. Beyond that, you know, you might say for a player like George Kittle, we could have said all that matchup stuff, but obviously he is a focal point for San Francisco in Dallas's case. They don't need Dalton Schultz to be heavily involved in the passing game. They have plenty of talent at the other spots. So I think when you consider all that Dalton Schultz, I, I want to like him more this week. Cause I, you know, I say this as somebody who benefited quite a bit from Dalton Schultz's points over the past two weeks. I don't think he's a great option this week. Yeah. He's, he's, he's shaky for sure. I mean, if you, if you start him, you're hoping the Cowboys, offense you know their success on offense and i do think they'll have plenty of success here just kind of carries him and maybe gets him into the end zone you know they're the cowboys wide receivers all three of them have been healthy the last three weeks now and schultz has eight and nine targets over the last two weeks but he also had three targets in that first game and you know, it could kind of be back to one of those games like you said with the i think the wide receivers having that you know better matchup this week than, than schultz does mm-hmm. yeah and i mean like we said on the kind of the opposite of what we said on the dallas side attacking arizona makes more sense on the outside rather than right in the middle with uh, the linebackers they have and the safeties they have. So, you know, probably I I might end up having Dalton Schultz on the bench in my main event lineup, which is a tight end premium format. That's going to be one where I don't feel comfortable doing it, especially with Dak Prescott in the lineup at quarterback. But I think that Tyler Higby and Foster Moreau are probably both ahead of Dalton Schultz for me in terms of week 17 upside. I, I could see Moreau over, Schultz. I mean, but you know, I've been burned by Higby too much this season. I can't really give you a straight answer there. That's right. Anything else worth discussing on the Dallas side? Zeke Zeke's looking better to me in the PFF grades. Agree, it was his best PFF grade since week nine. So I think he's kind of rounding into form. It's still like a 60-40 split between him and Pollard. So Zeke doesn't have like the ultimate upside, but I, I you know I think he's a he's a strong play this week. Yeah, he's healthier, and it just it makes it a lot easier that the whole offense bounced back in such a big way last week. Last week, you don't even need a good Zeke Elliott game for him to be a good fantasy bet. Yep. On Sunday night, we got Minnesota at Green Bay. Packers by six and a half over under a forty-seven and a half. The forecast here calls for five degrees, according to NFLweather.com at kickoff. So I'm not going to say that it being that cold keeps you from throwing the ball but it certainly doesn't help the passing game with a grip for the quarterback or guys who have to have a football hit their hands all night. Yeah, no, and, you know, people have looked into this and, you know, high winds and then also extreme colds does lower scoring and passing production. I would guess five degrees qualifies as extreme cold. I might have to go look back at those studies to see what they found. But, um, yeah, I, I um, it, it especially makes me worry about the, the Viking side here in, in their passing game. I think, you know, guys like Tyler Conklin and KJ Osborne, who are fringy starters this week, um, I might shy away from them with that weather forecast. Yes, that is the reaction for me, too, is to like KJ Osborne and the Packers receivers less mm. than I would have otherwise. You know, certainly not downgrading Devontae Adams or Justin Jefferson. Paul Charchin, who has been, you know, a fantasy guy forever and a Minnesota radio guy, had a tweet earlier. I'm trying to look up. Not sure I'm going to be able to get to it quickly enough, but had the average passing numbers for games where it's in single digit degrees at kickoff. And, you know, it's ugly stuff. Now, it's tough to know from that average exactly what quarterbacks we're looking at. But the message is it's not going to be a great passing situation. So if anything, you downgrade everybody um, heading in. And obviously that Mm -hmm. affects the fringe guys more than, say, Aaron Rodgers. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I guess like Tyler Conklin between this weather and his hamstring, I would not use him this week. Um, KJ, KJ Osborne. I mean, if you look, so Adam Thielen missed two full games and he, you know, he basically missed the two game sandwiching those, you know, he, he left early. Um, Osborne has seven plus targets in three of those four games and he's finished wide receiver 21 or better in three of those last four. So, you know, he's, he's been good when Thielen's been out. Um, but yeah, the weather is a concern, but I, I guess I'd, I would still consider Osborne as a you know, wide receiver three, wide receiver four play this week. Yeah, I think he's fine in that mix. He would be somebody that I was probably looking at a little bit more if it was a yeah. nicer game. Yeah. Um, then on the Green Bay side, I mean, if it's a bad game for passing, it can only help the backfield, right? Especially when we've got two guys in Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon that Green Bay is certainly mm-hmm. fine with either handing the ball to or throwing it to. Yep. Yeah, um, Jones has kind of pulled back away from Dylan over the last two weeks. 25 carries and eight targets for Aaron Jones, 16 carries and four targets for AJ Dylan. Dylan's just 42nd in expected fantasy points over the last two. So, you know, he's um, he's a tougher guy to count on this week unless you're sort of expecting the Packers to just pound the ball on the ground a whole bunch in this weather, which is definitely possible. But, um, you know, Jones, definitely the better fantasy playing. Jones is someone I'd, I'd feel good about using as a you know higher higher end RB2 this week, I, I think. Yes, uh, I agree with that. And I mean, you know, it, it's certainly possible that they're like, let's throw A.J. Dillon at these guys a bunch because it's going to get hurt. It's going to hurt to have <laughs> this big guy running into you all night. So, you know, if you're looking down in that range and we're talking like fringe of RB2 territory, there's, there's, you know, kind of the story that you can write that makes AJ Dillon an upside play in that territory. I wouldn't go reaching over Antonio Gibson, who's who I mentioned earlier, to play AJ Dillon in hopes that that thing goes in that exact way. Definitely. And I just did find the numbers from uh, Charge's tweet. So apparently, the average NFL passing game over the last eight years in single-digit weather or colder is 16 completions, 160 yards three tenths of a touchdown. So I'm not sure exactly how many games that is. I'm not sure who the quarterbacks were that participated in that, but obviously those are bad numbers, no matter who is playing quarterback. So, you know, don't go crazy replacing everybody, but probably not a game to look for fringe passing upside. Agreed. I still kind of like MVS though, but I I always like MVS. (laughs) (laughs) This is the kind of night that I'm not going to like MVS, but you know, it, it, it depends on who you're comparing him to. And I mean, ultimately, based on who you're probably realistically comparing him to yep. you take a shot that Aaron Rodgers finds him from 60 yards yeah. out in any given game. Well, I, I mean, 31 targets over his last four games uh, for MVS and the Vikings are dead last in adjusted points allowed to wide receiver. So it's a good, a good matchup. Everything, you know, besides the weather. Mm-hmm. Let's see if the forecast gets better as we get closer to the game too. So that'd be nice. The final game of the weekend, Cleveland at Pittsburgh on Monday night, the Browns by three in this one on the road over under 41 on the Brown side, we're going to have to wait and see a bit on Kareem Hunt. He is off the COVID list, but he still has a question with the ankle. First practice report for this one is coming today, Thursday. So, you know, we'll just have to see his health level unless you've heard anything already. He was not out there for practice today. Um, and he had a high ankle sprain. And that was in week 14. So you know, he's only three weeks removed. That's usually a four plus week injury. So I'm not expecting to see Kareem Hunt. Um, I'm expecting a lot of Nick Chubb. We've talked about this Steelers run defense has been really bad for a while now. So this, this could be, you know, if you, if you're, you know, sitting, you know, 20 points back with Nick Chubb and Monday night, it, it could be fun. I think he, he, he could get you there. Yeah. It's a great spot. It's a great spot for Nick Chubb. It's a fine spot for Jarvis Landry as well. Who saw 10 targets caught five mm-hmm. for 65 in the first meeting. 
And it's also nice in this time where we don't know when guys are going to go on the COVID list. Nick Chubb and Jarvis Landry have already had their COVID bouts, so they should be good to go for Monday night. And, you know, it's suddenly risky to wait for Monday night players, whereas it used to be like, all right, I got one more guy to go. This is going to be exciting. (laughs) Now it's risky, but the risk is gone for those guys. They should be good to play in this game. So should Baker Mayfield, not somebody that you're using, but, um, you know, getting him back can't hurt the offense unless he plays one of those, like, I don't know, really bad Baker games, which he's capable of. Yeah, I mean, like he did last week, right? Um, so maybe he won't string two of them together. But, I, you know, that Baker's performance last week and the Steelers' run defense, I think it's going to be super run-heavy game plan from Cleveland. I do think Jarvis Landry is still in play as a wide receiver three. He has averaged 8.8 targets over his last four games now. So when they do go to the air, it's been a lot of Jarvis. So I think I think he's a decent option. Mm-hmm. On the Pittsburgh side, Mike Tomlin mm-hmm. says Pat Fryermuth has a shot to return from his concussion this week. Not a high-end option, I don't think, but an option. He's been decent for yeah. us. Chase Claypool has been short of decent. I mean, if you look, there are some games where the, you continue to see his upside and it makes you wonder if you should play him. But there has been a lot more disappointing than good for Chase yeah. Claypool, and I would lean away from using him if I can help it this week. Yeah, so would I. Um, Claypool at least got back up to 82% snap rate last week. Actually led Ray Ray McLeod in routes for the first time in like a month. Um but you know, who knows when he's going to do something stupid again and, and get benched. Um, but, but really, to me, it's just you know relying on anyone in this passing game outside of Deontay Johnson with the way Big Ben is playing. I don't know if you saw Big Ben basically said today this is going to be his last game at Heinz Field. Um, so you know, maybe maybe they try to you know maybe they give him 50 attempts and try to get him a big game. But um, you know, for me, it's just Deontay and Najee Harris on the Steelers side. Yeah, and it does not help Chase Claypool that he has not had his bout with COVID yet. So. There is, as I said, some added risk to waiting on a Monday player, especially somebody who's risky to begin with. Yep. That's going to do it, folks. Do not go crazy overthinking your Week 17 decisions. If you're a DS Insider, we are here to do most of that thinking for you. You can check out the tools that you've been relying on all season to help you set your lineup. Check back over the weekend so that you don't miss any updates. We, of course, will be tracking all of the COVID and injury situations to stay on top of the rankings, to move guys where needed. And if you can't decide on that last spot in your lineup, join the free DraftSharks Discord to get a little more help. You can find the link to do that in the description for this podcast. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.